Good morning, everybody. Today we'll be learning Daf Mem Vav in Maseches Psachim. Hey, Barry, you're here too today. And, <laughs> and Kalman is back. We're having, we're having a great day already. 11 lines up from Mem Hey Ahmed Bez. We're talking about, we're talking about Chametz that is not really in an edible state. What is the halacha there as far as whether we're going to be high for that? Let's see. Very interesting. Tanu Rabbanan. You see it? Hapas she'ifsha. This is bread that became moldy. Melecho le'adam. To the point where a normal human being would consider it inedible. However, if you give it to the dog, he'll be into it. He'll still eat it. So we say, Metama tumas ochlin so we're still not talking necessarily um, about chametz here. Here we're just talking about what? Whether it could be, become tame. In other words, in order to become tame, you need to be a f- considered a food. Once something is completely inedible, it can't become tame. This idea of ochlen kikbechavetza becomes relevant soon, but ochlen kikbechavetza just basically means the regular shear. That's usually the shear. Um, where a food, something that is considered a food, can become tame, can be metame. Uh, Eleven lines up from the bottom of Memheim and Bez. Exactly. Exactly. I love, I love Gemara's with food, you know? Yeah, this Gemara is with food that's like right on the borderline. So let's see. I can grasp into it, you know? Yeah. You know what? We got to invite Garanowitz to the uh, luncheon, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, so here you go. So, metame tomas ochel kevetsa, and veni srefes im hatamea bepesach. Oh, do you remember this? Erev Yochanan Sagana Kohanim? The whole, the whole idea of burning on Erev, Erev Pesach, when you do the beer chametz, can you in fact burn, right? Can you in fact burn it? Remember, this is what Rashi is pointing out. What does this mean, veni srefes him hatamea? That you burn it with the tame, what, on Pesach, what's going on? So you might recall, you're burning it anyway, right? Typically, if something is tohar, you can't burn it, right, with truma tamea, right? That, was a, that, that in itself was a machlokas. So the, the point that the, that the Brysis is making here is that you cannot burn truma tahara with truma tamea, typically, according to the shitas that, that burning does not, right? So we said, one shita was that burning is the great equalizer. In other words, once it's burned, what's the difference? But really, you're not supposed to ever approximate truma tahora to truma tamei. You're not supposed to put them together. So the point that this price is making that is that if you have truma tamei, you can burn inedible, right, truma with it. In other words, inedible has the same sort of effect as being, as being tamei. Once it's inedible, then it's not really accessible anyways to the kohen. And therefore, that would have the same effect. And then, so that was the first shita. That was the Tanakama. And then, Mishum Rabbi Nasan Amru, Eina Metame, right? Rabbi Nasan said that it cannot, it's not considered food. Okay, so again, what was the question there? The question there was a machlokas whether once it's, it's Roi Laachilas Kelev, it's Metame Tumas Ochlin. Right? In other words, we said that the Royal Achilles Kelev, it's Metamitumus Ochlin. Rabbi Nasan's position is that even if it is Royal Achilles Kelev, once it's not Royal Achilles Adam, 
In other words, most human being would not consider it edible, then at that point it can't be subject to tumma anymore. In other words, whether it, a food can become tameh is not based on whether a dog is going to go and eat it, but rather its edibility, if that's a word, is based on whether human beings, in fact, would eat it. Okay. Now, Okay, so when, right, um, so who holds, like the following Mishnah, we didn't say the Mishnah yet, but we're about to quote a Mishnah, says the Gemara, and we want to know, in this Machlokas Tanakama Rabbi Nassan, about whether something which is Roy Lachilas Kelev, uh, or Roy Lachilas Adam, is going to be Nifsal, is, going to, can, is considered enough food to become Tameh, is reflected in the following Mishnah in Taros, as follows, says the Mishnah, Klal Amr B'Taros. When it comes to something becoming Tameh, we say the following, Kol HaMiyuchad LaOchel Adam, Tameh, Adshi Pasol Malechol LaKelev. Okay, so this is clearly like the Tanakama, because it says that if something is human food, right, so let's say you have a piece of bread that gets moldy, it's going to be Tameh, which means that it's considered food. Again, in order to become they have the susceptibility, the ability to become tame. It would need to be considered food. We're going to call it food. Uh, and what about if it gets moldy to the point where even me and Andrew won't eat it? It's still going to be considered food. That's what the mission is saying in Tyros. The only, it only, only once the dog won't eat it. Um, Birnbaum's dog, Poppy, only once he won't eat it. Um, Will it lose its status of food? Well, that was the Tanakamashita. You might recall that Rabbi Nassan would say that as soon as me and Andrew won't touch it, then it already loses its status as food. So this is like the Tanakama, as, but as the Gemara says, Kiman, who's this like? Well, the Gemara doesn't really say that it's the Tanakama, but it implies it because it says what? Deloka Rabbi Nassan. It says, I'm not telling, I'm not saying who it's like, but I can tell you this, it's not like Rabbi Nassan, which about, is to say, it's like the Tanakama. Poison, poison is a good question. All these issues of what would and wouldn't be considered food, so something that's poison uh, would not be considered food, I would imagine. Truth is, it's a really good question. What if something's delicious? Yeah, delicious. And you don't know it's poison? There's there's a lot of different halachic uh, nafkaminas. Anytime it says achila in the Torah, right, so so those things are subject to, so, so that, that could be true of a lot of different um a lot of different halachos. So what would be the halacha with poison? I'm, I'm sure if you know that it's poison, if nobody would eat it, it's not considered achila. Um, but that's an excellent question. Taner Rabbanan. Okay. So let's talk more about, uh, now let's get, bring it back to chametz that was inedible. As follows. This is a brysa. Arevas ha'abdanim. What's arevas ha'abdanim? So we said yesterday that the areva is like a trough. This is the abdanim are the ibud of the skins. You are tanning skins. Okay. So what's going on here? So the process of tanning skins in those days, you would have water and you would stick in flour. Okay. Now, over here, the Tanakhama says in the Brisa that if you put flour within three days of Pesach, Chai of Levire, you're going to have to dispose of that flour. However, However, had, had you put the flour in the water more than three days before Pesach, then you don't have to get rid of that. Well, wait a minute. That sounds like a, like a nuclear combination, flour and water, as you, as you approach Pesach, right? Because you, you, you would think that you'd be nervous about 
about chametz, obviously, right? So why don't you have to get rid of it? Getting, getting rid of it in this case just means pouring out the water. So why would you not have to pour out the water if it's sitting there for more than three days? It sounds like it would be worse. So the answer is that when you're tanning skins, this water becomes inedible, becomes disgusting. And as such, this is, again, an application of what we're talking about, food that's so nasty that nobody would ever eat it. So when the skins have been there for more than three days and it's marinating in this disgustingness, nobody would ever eat it. And even though it could be leavened, you know, have the physical properties of chametz, it's inedible and therefore you don't even need to pour it out. That is the Tanakama. Then Amar Rabbi Nasan, Birnbaum gets all worked up every time we have so, the same uh, Manda Amar appearing in a different context in a grouping. Anyway, so Rabbi Nasan, here he is again, says, This whole discussion is if you didn't put the skins yet into the trough. Right? That if you if you put the skins in, then he's saying that it takes less than three days uh, to, to, uh, for it to get gross. And, it's, and that means that even if, like Erev Pesach, you put in the, ski, uh, the, the flour in the water, then you still won't have, you won't be chayev and you won't have to dispose of it because the skins make it gross right away. You have to kind of modify what he's saying over here uh, when he's saying, because... Well, if he didn't put in skins, then what is he doing? All it is is flour and water. So it's not going to necessarily be okay that it's just sitting there. So he, he doesn't really, um, I don't think, he's really, what he's really trying to emphasize is as soon as the skins are there, then it's not going to even matter if it's within three days because it's going to get putrid right away. Okay. Now, I'm a Rava, halacha ke Rabbi Nassan. Here the halacha is like Rabbi Nassan. Right? And the implication is that what Rabbi Nassim meant was even immediately. In other words, as long as there's skins there, it's going to be enough of a gross, almost, uh, one would argue, well, so incredibly putrid that you would never, nobody would ever eat it. And therefore, once you're at a point where nobody would ever eat it, you don't have a problem of chametz there. Okay, so now we're at the two dots, uh, four lines up from the bottom of Memheim and Bez. And we're getting back into the very interesting halacha that the Mishnah had said. The Mishnah said that when it came to, remember, we talked about hakpada, right? We talked about when you had chametz, and we talked about if you're makbid and you're not makbid, uh, whether it creates a chatzitza, and uh, etc. And we were talking about, if you might remember, the, the trough, right? So we were talking about if the chametz actually blocks up let's say, a hole in the trough, and you consider it already part of the trough, so then you're going to, right, consider part of it, you could even be tovelet, so then it applied that concept to tuma and tara. What was the case? The case there was, let's say you have a kli that's tame, and you want to dunk it in the mikvah. So, the, the, so as we know, when you dunk in the mikvah, sometimes if you have something, as we mentioned this yesterday, if, uh, when we learned the Mishnah, that if you have something that's a chatzitza, then the dunking is not going to be any good, right? You're not going to become tar from, from your tevila, okay? But if something is a part of you, so then we're going to say, well, that's already a part of you, and we're, it's going to be considered tevila. That's the concept of makpid versus eno makpid. Makpid means, let's say, um, I have uh, something that's going to be removed later. So let's say I'm dunking with my orthodontic retainer. 
So then maybe that would be a chatzitza. Let's assume that, e- that even things that are inside your mouth are a chatzitza. So I wore my retainer. I didn't take it out. My removable orthodontic retainer when I go to dunk. So I'm makbid, right? I'm using this thing. That, that would be, create a chatzitza. However, if I have a fixed orthodontic retainer, we're getting really granular here, so try to follow. Because I know, I know, I know, because Andrew dropped out of orthodontic school after three weeks. It was a very sad day for me. So, so if you have, so, so there's something called a fixed orthodontic retainer, which stays in your mouth, okay? And there's something called a removable orthodontic retainer. So if it's a removable, it means you're makbid. And that's going to create a chatzitza. If it's fixed, it means enomakbid, means you expect it to stay there. And therefore, it's part of you. And therefore, it's not going to be chatzitza. Why are we even bringing this up? Because of chametz, right? If you have chametz, um, then, then it's going to be what? If it's going to be something that you expect to stay there, Right? Let's say it's dough. So if it's an amount of dough that you expect it to stay there and it's never going to move, how so? Because they used to actually, when the dough would dry up, they would let it become sort of part of the clee in order to keep it there so that the clee doesn't wear out. In other words, as the clee wears out so that it doesn't seep out. So then it's part of the clee. So then you could actually literally so much, so much so that's not even considered a chatzitza. If, if you had the clee and you dunked it, it would become tahar. As opposed to, if it's a shear that's, that's more that we're considered that you're going to be mock pit on it, or if you're going to remove it, so then of course it's not part of the clee, and then the entire clee can't be dunked, it, it's not going to become tar. So let's, now that we have that background, we can flesh it out. So says the Gemara. Okay. So v'chen le'inyan tuma, that this, which we said with regards to chametz, is also true with tuma, which means when you're dunking a clee in the mikvah to make it tar. Im mock pit says, just like we said, if you are makbid, right, it's like a removable retainer, so then it's considered a chatzitza. But if it's like a permanent orthodontic retainer, and you want it to stay there, and you're never going to take it out, then it becomes like it's part of the kli, and then it actually can be done. So now the Gemara is going to say, me dummy? What happens if you have bachomets under your crown? This is a great question. Because I have that, you know. Hopefully you have less than kazais of chametz under your crown. Um, we're going to actually get into that here. Not, not exactly, but we're going to talk about the difference between chametz and other things. And it maybe it'll depend on whether you're dunking on Pesach or dunking during the year. Let's see how this gets actually very interesting as follows. Me dummy. Okay. Are the halachas, me dummy means like this. The, the Mishnah's lashon was vechein le'inyatuma. Right? We learned all the halachas yesterday with regards to chametz, uh, and whether you're makbid. And now we're saying that that's the same thing as dunking something that's tame during the year. So the Gemara asks, me dummy, are those two halachas similar? Hasam b'shiur milsa. Or over there, which meaning by chametz that we learned yesterday, all we were talking about, it was really, there was, we talked about more than shear of kazais, but that was definitely a big, that was definitely a big topic, whether it was more of a kazais or not, and that would depend, that, in other words, whether you're makbid or not, depended a lot on whether you had more of a kazais of chametz, because don't forget, we had shitas that said that even if you are expecting to leave it there, if you have such a large clump of chametz that it's more than a kazais, the chiddush is that you might be considering it, um, 
significant enough, right, to be considered a chatzitza, even if you intend to leave it there. So chametz is in fact very different than tumah, because as the Gemara continues to say, hacha bikpeda talya milsa. When it comes to the tumah, we're not depending on the, on the shear, but we're more dependent on whether, in, entirely on whether you, um, plan to leave it there or not, whether you're makpid or not, irrespective of how big it is. Okay, so now we're going to analyze this a little bit more. Amar of Yehuda. Okay, so Rav Yehuda takes the liberty to totally amend the, the Mishnah. In other words, the Mishnah said, So Rav Yehuda said, let's, let's kind of like say, And then we won't have this issue. Then we'll say, you know, Chametz is depending on size. Tuma is dependent on whether you're Makhbit or not. To which Abaye objected. He, he did not like uh, Rav Yehuda amending the Mishnah. And he said, Amalei Abaye, uh, ha so that, that's a beautiful shot, except for that's not what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah sim- says, that it's the same. Okay. So, Ela Amar Abaye, Abaye is going to offer his own interpretation as follows. Hachikamar, as we finally arrive at Menvav Amar Aleph, we're going to dedicate this daf to Rishua David Marchak. I told him I'd give him a shout out, but we got to keep moving. Uh, I want to give him a maybe bigger shout out tomorrow because hopefully we'll catch up. Let's see. So we say like this, the Inyan Tzir of Tumah B'Pesach, he lives in Farakway. It's a whole long story. It's gonna be, I'm going to incorporate it into the rest of the story I'm going to tell you after. The Inyan Tzir of Tumah B'Pesach. In other words, like this. Abaye is going to say, In other words, on Pesach, it's going to be the same. And then the rest of the, in other words, Tumah and Chametz are going to be the same. And the rest of the year, it's going to be different. If your head is spinning, don't worry. We're going to explain how this works right now as follows. That according to the rest of the year, it's going to be different. As the Gemara says, that the machlok, the difference, the distinction, this plukta, this distinction between size and your intention is during the rest of the year. But on Pesach itself, right, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be similar. How does this work? Let's, let's, let's see. Hechi dummy. How does this work? So as follows. Kagon, deika pachas mikabeza ochlin, venagu bahai batsake. Okay. So, let's say you have a kli. Okay. The kli, as we said, in order to become, in order for food to become tame, it has to have a, a shear of a kabeza. Okay. That's the critical shear for tumma. The critical shear for chametz is a kazais, where are you going to be chayev. Okay, so now we're going to deal with a kazais and a half. More than a kazais, okay, for Pesach purposes, less than a kabetza for tumah purposes. So here we go. Let's say you have pachos mikabetzas. Let's say you have a kazais and a half inside a kli, okay, and it's stuck in there. You might, in fact, uh, say that it's part of the kli. Now, v'nagu b'hai batzeik. And you're also, we're going to stick in here another, some more dough on top of it, okay? That's also going to be a kazais and a half. So now, together, you have more than a kabesa. Between the dough that's stuck in the pot and the dough that you're introducing, you're going to have more than a kabesa. So what's going to happen here? As follows. Bepesach the isuro chashuv, right, mitztarev. Right? During Pesach, right, where are you going to say 
that that the shear is more than a kazayas, then you combine the two foods and you complete it to create what? More than a kabeza. Okay, Bishari Mosashana the big beta talium milsa in makpitalov mitzarif, imrotsubikiyumo, hareyu kareva. So that's how this works, as follows. Uh, during the rest of the year, right, with regards to Tumma itself, all you care about is whether you're makbit or not. So let's say you have, again, a kazais and a half of, of dough, we'll call it, of chametz, dough, stuck to the kli. So during the rest of the year, the only criteria, as the Mishnah says, is whether you're makbit or not, or not on it. So if you intend to leave it there the, forever, Right, so then even if it's more than a kazayas, the rest of the year, it's not going to be significant, which is to say it's going to be considered part of the clea entirely, such that even if you put in the something else that was tummy that was more than a kazayas, they would, they would not join, because after all, it's considered as if you just put in a kazayas and a half of dough inside a clea, it's not enough of a shear, it's not a kabeza, and therefore you, this, Dough would not become tummy. The new dough they introduced would not be able to be makabal tumma. However, on Pesach, by virtue of it being more than a kazayis, that already becomes significant by definition. So again, on Pesach, the dough in the kli, even if you intended to stay in the kli forever, is considered not to be part of the kli by virtue of the significance of being greater than a kazayis. As opposed to the rest of the year, that dough that's in the kli is considered to be part of the kli and thus totally insignificant. So that makes a difference. If during the year it's insignificant, then it's not mitzarif to the dough that you're bringing in. And if during the year, Pesach it is significant, then it is mitzarif to the dough that you put in. And the re, uh, final result would be that if you introduce kazais and a half of dough into this pot, then it would become mitzarif on Pesach and thus tameh and not mitzarif the rest of the year and, and can't become tameh. Wow. So that was Abaya's suggestion. So did Rava like Abaya's suggestion? You want to guess? All right, I'll read it inside. Matkif la Rava. Rava, was, Rava disagreed with Abaya. Can you believe it? So you can say it like this. Miketani mitzarif. Wait a minute. Beautiful pshat, but this pshat has to do with tziruf. And the Mishnah never said Sirif. The Mishnah, what was the Lush of the Mishnah? It says, It's talking about Chatzitza. Who said anything about Sirif? Right? Right? The Mishnah was talking about Chatzitza. So whatever shot you're going to say, it isn't going to have to do with Sirif. It's going to have to do with Chatzitza. Uh-huh. Okay, so now Rav is going to explain how is the, what does the Mishnah mean when Tumah is similar to Chametz with respect to Chatzitza, as follows. Aha. It's talking about dunking this Kli. You're dunk, dunking this Kli in a mikvah. Hechi dami, the following. Okay, so you had Tameh dough stuck to a Kli. Uvoilat bule. And you want to, you know, dunk that in the mikvah in order to make it tar. So the Pesach, the Isura Chashiv, on Pesach, when we say that this, it's greater than Kazayis and therefore it's significant, it's Chashiv, Chaitzitz, right? Velosalka Tvila. It's going to be considered a Chatzitza, and the Tvila is not going to work. It's still going to remain Tameh. However, Bishari Mosashana, Bikpeta Talia Milsa, right? Bishari Mosashana, as we discussed, 
it all depends on whether you're makpid on it staying in there for not. So e makpid alav chaitzes. If you're going to plan to one day take out this dough, it's going to be considered a chatzitza. It's going to have its own individual individuality, its own significance. However, if you plan on leaving the dough there forever and stuck there and crusted over as part of the kli, then it's considered literally part of the kli, and even as you dunk it with this chametz on it, it the entire kli, everything is going to be tahar because that chametz is not considered a chatzitza. Okay, so that is the difference between Pesach and Shari Yimos Hashanah. Okay, and that is how it's similar but different. In other words, you have some of the same concerns, right, as far as the fact that it's both of them with, with Tvila. Uh, and you could say that just like on Pesach, when it's Chashuv, it's going to be a Chatzitza, so too on Tvila, with regards to Tumah, if you're Makbid, then it's considered a Chatzitza. So in that sense, Chashivus uh, that you get from being more than a kazayis on Pesach is analogous to hakpada with regards to Tumah. And that's how those two uh, issues actually compare. This, uh, I, I, I'm accused often by Birnbaum as being a Rava guy. That Rava always makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. Anyway, it didn't make sense to Rav Papa. Matkif la Rav Papa. Rav Papa didn't like this. We always talk about Rav Papa being a peacemaker, but we should also point out we've had Matkif la Rav Papa quite a few times already. So when he sticks to his guns, when he sees something he doesn't like, he did not like this shot. He objected and he says, Umiketani, Vechain inyan tara, hala inyan tuma katani. Yeah, the, yeah, it looks like they were all learning together. That seemed like some yeshiva, right? Yeah. Well, we got a good crew here too, but I, I don't know if we can compare it to that crew. But we're going to try. At least we're reading about what they learned. Okay, so Matkiv Lar of Papa, Mikatani Vechengle Inyan Tara, Hal Inyan Toma Katani. Wait a minute. It, it, it didn't, you're, that's a nice shot, Rava. But, it, but you're talking about, but you're talking about Tara being Matai or something in the mikvah. But with, but with the Mishnah didn't say Tara, the Mishnah says Vechengle Inyan Toma. It wasn't talking about Matai or something. The context was we were talk, talking about Matame something. So again, I'm with Rava. I'm saying, okay, I understand it's talking about that, you know, we have Kalman here, a resident Tumatara expert. Tumatara are two sides of the same coin, right? Like, I could say that, I could still say that he's talking about Indian Tuma or Indian Tara when he's talking about Tara, because after all, what is Tara from? It's being Matara Tuma. But that's not what Rava answered. I mean, we don't know. Maybe that probably would be what Rava answered. But if Papa, be that as it may, had his own shot. El Amr, Papa. All right. It's to, in order to remove the tuma from the kli. Okay, so he's going to bring in a new case here. So the dough, remember the dough that's stuck in the trough, Guranowitz? And it's, and it's like caked over there? So let's say, what happened if, it, if a sheretz touched it? So the Pesach, the Yisurah So on Pesach, again, all you need is a kazayas of this dough for it to be considered a chashev. So then it's considered what? An independent entity. And therefore, right, it's going to be, amazingly, in this particular case, finally saving, finally this caked over dough came in handy. The fact that it's more than a, 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 a kazayas actually helps you because it's considered a chatzitza. Once it's considered a chatzitza, then even if a share creepy crawly came upon it, it's not going to impart tumma to the kli because it was protected by this teflon, or as it were, Chametz layer of caked over uh, chametz interposing between 
right? The kli and the sheretz, and the kli becomes not, it does not uh, cont- contract this tumma. Uh, as the Gemara says, the tumma is not going to descend upon this kli. However, right? Uh, the rest of the year, where, where the whole thing is going to depend on whether Right, you're makbid on it or not, so imakbid or love chaitzit. So if it's a removable thing that you're going to take away at some point, then yes, it protects the kli and it's a chatita. However, imroitza bikiyumo hareu kareva. However, the rest of the year, if you're going to leave the bread there as part of the kli, then even if a sheretz came on it, it doesn't protect it, and it's considered like part of the kli, and in fact, by virtue of the fact that you were that you were not makpid, you were roitzavikiyumo. The sheretz has actually been mitame now. The entire kli, just by touching, even if it only touched this bread portion. Whoo! Amazing. Okay, we got twenty minutes. Let's do it. Afterburners. Mishnah uh, in the middle of menvavim dalif. Batek hacherish, deaf bread. What's going on? Well. It's, Rashi explains how it's like a cherish. It's like a cherish because Rashi says, just like when you look at a person who's, who's hard of hearing, you can't tell because after all, they do have ears and the ears are the same size. They don't have any indication that they have diminished hearing. So too, this is deaf dough in the sense that you know it must be chametz already, but for, but you just don't see the usual signs of the cracking and rising that you see with leavening uh, dough. And so it's not showing the physical signs, but you know it's been like hours. So that's called Batsek HaKherish. It's probably for sure Chametz, but where are all the signs of Chametz? So let's see. Says the Mishnah, Well, how could you tell? Double blind study. Um, you know, when you have, oh, what, what, what is it called? Oh, come on, experimentation. The control. Thank you. Whew. Okay, almost forgot. Okay, so like any experiment, if you have the control, it helps. Right, if you have another dough sitting next to it that you mix at the same time and you saw that this already rose fully, so then you know that it must have, the other one must have risen as well. Then it's going to be also. So, right, then the one that you, did, you didn't see the physical signs of rising, you got to know that it must have risen, just didn't look like it. So the Gemara is going to discuss a lot more as follows. The Gemara asks the obvious question. Okay, but what if you don't have a control? What if you don't have its sister that got mixed at the same time rising? So at what point can you assume that bread mixed with flour, right, flour mixed with uh, water, rather, that's, for, that's the ratio it's supposed to rise, at what point could you assume that it's chametz, even though you don't see the signs? So the Gemara answers uh, as follows: Amar Rabbi Bo, Amar Rabbi Shimon Melakish, Kadesh Yelech Adam and Migdal Nunya Latveria. It's the amount of time, or the amount of distance. We'll see from Migdal Nunya to Tveria Mill, which is a mill. Okay, a mill takes about eighteen minutes to walk. We'll call it a mile. It's not exactly a mile, but it, it's an eighteen-minute walk. Okay, so now. So uh, the Gemara says, "V'name a mill." Okay, so why is he saying the mill from Emigdal Nunya Just say a mill. So the Gemara answers, "Hakamash Malan Deshiur the mill Emigdal Nunya Vatveria." It was a good time to learn the fact that the distance from Migdal Nunya to Tveria is a mill. And so now we learn two things: that you have to wait a mill until it becomes chametz, and that that's the distance between Migdal Nunya and Tveria. Okay. So now, so now we're going to have an unrelated halacha, but really it's related in the sense that it has to do with mills. 
And it's also in the name of Rish Lakish as follows. Amar Rabbi Abau, in fact, quoting him. Amar Rabbi Abau, Amar Shimon bin Lakish, le gabal. We already learned what the word gabal means. Gabal means a person that you hire to watch over the kneading of the dough that it doesn't become, right, uh, tummy. Vilitfila, davening. We'll see what this means. Vilitfila siadaim, arba milin. Okay, so what is this shear of arba milin? So as follows. As follows. When you have, uh, first of all, tfila is tfila betzibur. This is halacha lamaisa, guys. How far do you have to go to daven tefillah b'tzibur? Wow. So let's take it one at a time. Gabal is a hired person who needs your bread. So he has to travel up to what? Four mil, says here. Arba milin. Four mil in order to dunk the, the kalim, right? Uh, if you have to go further in order to, right, take care of your job and, and do the tefillah for the kalim, you're going to have to be compensated extra for that. But four mil is like considered part of your job description of how much effort you're supposed to do to keep all those kalim tahor. Similarly, tefillah, right? Literally tefillah b'tzibor. You have to go out of your way 72 minutes in order. So you're on, you're on the road. This is a traveler. You're on the road. A minion is 72 minutes away. This happens to a lot of travelers. How far away do you have to go for a minion? So I heard la halacha um, that if it's, and we're going to see, the Gemara is going to say it. Some people, the paskin la halacha, that if it's in your way, so Barry is driving down to Philly and, and he didn't catch a minion in B'nai Jacob Shire Zion. So he has to go 72 minutes out of his way. That's pretty serious. That's if it's along your way. That just means that you'll do the rest stop 72 minutes later. Don't stop now, Davin Bechidis. Davin at the rest stop on your way. If you're going out of your way, so then it's one mil. It's eight. We'll see that in the Gemara. It's 18 minutes. Okay. And then Yudayim, similarly, you, you ever see the trick where you have no, uh, uh, no water for Natilas Yudayim, so then you wrap it, uh, you wrap the, the, the bread? So that's justifiable if there's no Natilas Yudayim within 72 minutes. Okay. So, Amar of Nachem Bar Yitzchak, there he is again. Ivo Amara, quoting Ivo, the Ar, it wasn't, right, so, so it was not Reish Lakish, but Ivo who said this halacha. The Arba, Arba Amarba, the Chadaminayu Ibud. Okay, so so he didn't only say the three halachas. When I recorded this, he wasn't just talking about gabal, tefillah, and tilsidaim. There was also a fourth idea, and that was ibud, the working of leather. What's this working of leather? So we learned it in a Mishnah. The Mishnah says in Chulin as follows. Zitznan, v'chulan she'ibdan, that when you're working the leather, or she'hilach behem kadei avoda tahorim, or shehilach behem kadei avoda, they were they just kind of like trampled upon during the time of leather work their tar. What's going on here? So it's talking about animal skins. Animal skins, when you first kill the animal, are kind of tender and you could actually eat them. And they're edible. So you might consider in the category of food in order to be mekabel tumah. But once you've trampled on them and pounded them for 72 minutes, so that also falls into the category of something where four mil is significant. Once you've been pounding them for, four, for 42 minutes, then it is no longer considered food, and at that point, it is already not going to be makabal tuma because that's that because then it's considered inedible. However, chutzme or adam, how you got this? What's this uh, human skin doing here? I have no idea. But human skin is going to remain tame even if you pounded it for four mil. Okay, and again, How much is the time of leather working? So Amar. So it's a fourth thing that has this Arba Mil shear. So if anybody asks you, what are the four things that have a shear of Arba Milim, you'll have it at the top of your head. The Gabal, the Tefillah, the Tilas Yadaim, and the Skins. 
Okay. Now, qualifying a little bit, as we said earlier, this is where the halacha comes from. Amar Biyasi Berb Chanina, Lo Shanu El Lefanov. That in all of these cases, it's only when it's in your way. In other words, if you're a traveler, first of all, and you're going in the direction of somewhere, so then you have to go 72 mil sort of in your way uh, in order to go, let's say, to a minion. But when you have to go out of your way, then he doesn't even have to return a mil. So first of all, this is a, this is, the art school kind of sorts it out. That it means that if it's less than a mil, then you are choser. So maybe not 18 minutes, but if it's 17 and a half minutes, then you have to go out of your way. See what I mean? But he says, afilu mil ain't a choser, right? That even if it's a mil, you don't have to go back. So that's what I'm saying. The art school is quoting, quoting Postkim, right? That says that if it was less than a mil, you would have to go back. Okay. There's a, there's a, there's a bir, the chay adam, the bir halacha, there's, there's some halachas here about what would be the halacha if you're not a traveler at all, right? What if you're just sitting at home? Um, actually, this, this inference that if it's less than a mil, you have to go back is in the last shtickle here in the Gemara. There it is. That's the halacha. That if it's pachos mi mil, you're going to have to be choser. Okay? Even though you're going out of your way. But again, with regards to what if you're home, you're not on the road at all. So that, that would be an interesting, uh, so you have to, you have to look into the, uh, into the postscript to see how far away you have to go. To daven with a minion, to get in the tilas yadayim, etc. Very interesting. So now we're in the mission on the bottom of Vavim Aleph, and we are presented with one of the most fascinating conundrums I've ever seen at the very symbolic time of 6.13 a.m. as follows. Ketzad mafrishin chala betuma biyomtov. How are you mafrish chala from dough that's tame on Pesach? This is quite a conundrum. And the mission itself is going to offer several solutions. What's the conundrum? Again, the dough is Tameh. And the conundrum is as follows. Chala, that's Tameh, you can't even be eaten by a Kohen. Okay? So if it can't be eaten by a Kohen and you're separating out Chala, then you can't bake it on Yantiv. Why? Because bake it on Yantiv is only mutter, what? For the sake of Ochal Nefesh. If you know that it's got Tameh and nobody's going to be able to eat it, then you can't, right? Then you can't bake it. Okay? So you say, okay, well, set it aside as Chala and burn it. Yeah, well, you can't burn it. First of all, you can't burn it right away because you can't destroy it. You can't destroy challah because you can't destroy what? Truma, right? This is supposed to go to the Kohen. So it's, so it's, it's Truma. You can't destroy something that's, that's Truma on Yuntiv. Okay. So you can't destroy it. You can't, um, bake it. And you can't set it aside for later because it's Pesach. So it's going to become chametz. <laughs> okay, so again, the three possibilities are leave it, burn it, right? Or bake it, right? Either bake it, leave it unbaked, or burn it. If you, again, if you bake it, then you're also because nobody can eat it. If you leave it, it's going to become chametz. And if you, right, and, and if you just burn it, then you can't burn it because it's still too cuttish to burn. So what are you supposed to do? So, suggestions. Rabbi Leezer Omer, lo tikr l'ashem achetofe. Okay, lo tikr l'ashem means you, you don't designate it as challah until you bake it. In other words, first bake it. So now you're not bake, now you're baking something that's potentially edible. But Beseir Omer, tatil betsonin. But Beseir says no. You, in order to prevent chimuts, so we said that if you left it over, it's going to become chametz. So he said, put it in cold water, stop the chimutz process. 
and then just leave it till after. Wow. And Amar Rabbi Yeshua, Lo Zehu Chamech Shemizarna Lo Vibali Yerai Vibali Matzai. Rabbi Yeshua says, an unbelievably revolutionary pshat as we turn to Benvav and Beis, that, that, by Yerai Vibali Matzai, right, is only talking about something that what? That is yours. But here, this belongs to somebody else, right? You set it aside for the coin. As therefore he says, Can you imagine? You're mafresh chala, let it rise. Okay, so it'll be bread. It's not your bread. Amazingly, it's okay because he doesn't own it. All right, so let's, let's kick this around the Gemara. This becomes fascinating. So the Gemara says, so again, Rabbi Shua at the end of this mission is saying that you're not responsible for chala even though it rose on Pesach because it's not yours. So this was Rabbi Shua's chiddush. Everyone else seemed to disagree, right? But Leazar didn't, didn't have that shot. So says the Gemara, Lema betovas hanah uh, what's Tovah Sanah? It's the gratitude of the coin. Remember, when you're mafresh chala, you can give it to any coin you want, right? So when you give it to a specific coin, he says, thank you very much. There's a gratitude there because you didn't have to give it to him. So this Tovah Sanah, this benefit that the coin has, he now kind of owes you one, right? So the Rabbi Eliezer says, well, the fact that he owes you one, Andrew, is actually like, that's, you, that's monetized, Right? That's considered, and it's monetized enough that that's considered yours. And therefore, you're going to be over with, with it on Pesach. However, Yeshua holds that just because he owes you one doesn't mean that the schala still um, relates back to you. And therefore, you could just let it rise and it's not yours. Wow. The Gemara says, Lo, that can't be the machlokes. Now, everybody holds that that's not substantial. It's kind of just like out there in the ether, but still, it's not really mama. It's not yours. So what would be the machlokes? Guys, we, we could spend a month on each one of these suggestions. But anyways, these are, we're bringing in like different shasugyas into this one amazing case. Anyways. So they're arguing about the concept of hoel. Hoel tech, um, literally means since. What's the hoel here? There really is a savar. Amin hoel vibay itchil Allah. Right, that if he wanted, since if he wanted to, right, he could go to Itchel means to ask a Sheila, you go to Chacham to undo the designation of Chala. That would mean that even if he designated the Chala, then retroactively he could decide that a different portion of the Chala was the Chala in the first place. Aha. So since he could go and, and reverse it, Mamone who? Right? So Rabbi Eliezer would say that since you could always reverse it, then you can't just have cognitive dissonance and say that this rising piece of challah in my kitchen doesn't belong to me. Right? Because in theory, it could belong to you because it's always still reversible. So it still has some connection to you, Andrew. But Rabbi Shua, however, says that you don't say this. We, and therefore, if lo amin and hoil, then you can't take it back. And since there's no backsies, then this is not going to be considered yours. And therefore, it's okay if it's just rising there. Okay. Once we mention hoel, hoel literally means since, right? Otherwise known as unforeseen circumstances that can impact halacha. So once we already mentioned hoel, now we're going to get into the real hoel that you might recall from Masechus Beitzah and hoel as follows. Itmar. Ha'oifim yantiv l'chol. Let's say somebody bakes, says, from yantiv to chol. So if Christo Omer Loke, you get Malchus for this. You're not allowed to bake on Yantiv. You are, but only for Ochal Nefesh. You can't bake on Yantiv for the next day, Chatz V'Shalom. And Rabbah Omar Eina Loke. The, the Malchus here is going to be for what? For baking the Isser. 
The melacha of baking on Yantiv. So Rabba says, no, you're not going to be mal- get malchus for that. You're not punished. Why? Because Right? Because of this idea, you might recall, you might have visits, visitors, guests. So if guests might come, so if you said, well, guests might come, and therefore when you're baking it, even for tomorrow, the guests might come today, and therefore it turns out that you really baked it for today, and therefore baking on Yantav for Yantav is mutter. So that's called hoyle mikloy leorchim, chazilay. Therefore, if that's the case, if we hold of hoyle, then it means that the potentiality the potential of guests coming makes this baking mutter. That's why Rav Chista would say that, um, right? So, but Rav Chista says lo amrin and hoil. Since Rav Chista says that we don't, that we disregard this potentiality, he's going to say loke. And Rabba amr ain't loke because amrin and hoil. Rabba says that we are not going to give him this punishment because we say that maybe guests will come and therefore this afia will retroactively, this baking will be considered like you baked for Yantav itself, which is in fact mutter for ochal nefesh. So Rav Chista said again that he's Malkus. I'm like Rabbi Rav Chista. Okay, so you don't hold of hoil. So ech ofin miyantiv l'shabes. But we know that you're allowed to bake on yantiv from yantiv to shabbos. But don't forget, if you're doing that, don't forget the erev tefshilin, which was Rav Chista's answer. Amalei, you should marry tefshilin. What are you talking about? You made an erev tefshilin. I mean, you might be right, but because you made an erev tefshilin, you could bake from yantiv to shabbos. So the so Rabbi says, "Umishum eruve tafshilin shavina nisur daraisa." Yeah, but you Rav Chista, you're giving malchus now midaraisa, and so you think it's an isur daraisa. So what? The erev tafshilin, which was a what a shtick of the chachamim, the the rabbanon can do, dispense with the chi of daraisa with the erev tafshilin, the rabbanon. So amalei midaraisa tzarche shabbos nasim biyantiv. Now, so Rav Chista is explaining as follows. That really, midaraisa miikar hadin, you can in fact what bake for Shabbos on Yantiv. However, rabbanu the gazer gazera, the whole gazera that you shouldn't be able to bake. In other words, you certainly can't bake. You can bake on Yantiv for Yantiv, and you can bake for Shabbos as well. You just can't bake for chol. However, the rabbanu made a gazera. You should not really be able to bake from Yantiv. To Shabbos, either why Because if you allow to bake from one day to another, meaning from Yontif to Shabbos, people would get confused and they would think that you're allowed to bake on Yontif uh, in all cases, even if it's a chol following a Yontif. Okay, so that's what the Rabbanan said. They said, Meikar Adin, you can bake for Shabbos. However, people got confused. And therefore, the function of the Erev Tafshilin is not to allow something that's Usr, but rather to create a Heker so that you understand the distinction between baking from Shabbos to Yantiv, uh, from Yantiv to Shabbos, and from Yantiv to Chol. Okay, so 11 lines up from the bottom of Envavim Beis. We have three minutes. We'll finish this up over here, up to the last line. Let's say you have an animal, and it's dangerously ill. So what do you, you don't want to lose the whole animal, so you're going to shecht it, and then you're going to eat some of it on Yantiv. Because remember, to eat it on Yantiv, you can shecht it. But this is a giant animal. Who eats a whole animal? So we say like this. Um, the Bryce has said, this sounds a lot like a Mishnah and Beitzah, but it's not exactly the Mishnah. But basically, it may sound familiar to you. So he says, <laughs> That the Tanakhama says, you're not allowed to shech this animal to eating it unless you can have a- enough time to roast this uh, kazais of it for Yantav itself. <laughs> 
right? Even if you don't actually, so the implication is even if you're not going to actually eat it, as long as you shechle it, it's okay. So bish ami oil. So, right, we're going to say that Rabbah is going to explain, I hold of oil. So oil vi boil mechal matzi achil. Hoyl in this case means that if I want to, I could eat it. And because I could eat it, I could shech the animal. But since you seem to be rejecting this whole principle of hoyl, why are you allowing him to shech it? So if Christa answers, Mishum Hefsen Mamona, yeah, because he lose a lot of money. So Rabbi asks, Mishum Hefsen Mamona, Sharina Nisur Raisa? What does that mean? But you're going to allow this Isur Raisa of shechting the animal on Yantiv just because you're going to lose a lot of money? So I'm like, in, yeah. Uh, that was a good enough reason why Mishum Hefsen Mamono Gomer Beli Balochel Kazayis. It's not so much that the Hefsen Mamon uh, trumps the Isidar Raisa. It's just that the Hefsen Mamon is going to uh, convince the guys. This is more than Hoel because of the Hefsen Mamon. He's going to for sure eat the Kazayis. And the only way he could eat the Kazayis is by shechting the entire animal, and that's why he could do so on Yantiv. So we've arrived in the last line of Memvav Amud Beis. Yeah.